With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. This June, come with us once again to enter the amazing world of Chinese folk tales. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Find Chinese folk tales season three on all major podcast platforms. Online in June. Keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable, coming to you from Beijing. I'm Lai Ming. Coming up on today's show, Roundtable special program marking the 72nd anniversary of the peaceful liberation of Xizang. We take a look at a new law on the protection of the fragile ecosystem on the Qinghai Xizang Plateau. Why is it necessary? What purpose does it serve? What part will it play in promoting sustainable development in Xizang and in China as a whole? We will also look at what has happened since our last trip to Xizang. Also on the menu, more and more elderly people seek a companion after their spouses pass away or divorce them. But before the knot is tied again, it's not rare for the widow or widower to get into dispute with their children. Should we have a say in the love life and marriage decisions of our parents? How far should we go? You can share your thoughts about our topics or suggest issues for us to discuss on the show by writing to us at ezfmroundtable@foxmail.com. Also, we appreciate any comments you leave while rating us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts. Many thanks to Sarah Even 2013 who twice commented in the past month. Thank you. Now on Roundtable, the ladies from the Qinghai Xizang Plateau. I'm privileged to have. Two more people who have been to Xizang with me two years ago, and these are Fei Fei and Yu Holi. Great to be here. Hello. Hey, we begin with the latest. So this is a new law on the protection of ecosystem on the Qinghai Xizang Plateau, and it was ruled out in April and is going to take effect in September this year. Tell us what this is all about. Well, of course. So the National People's Congress on April twenty fourth adopted a law to protect the fragile ecosystem of Qinghai Xizang Plateau, known as the Roof of the World. Passed at a session of the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress, the law emphasizes protection as its cornerstone, adhering to respecting, complying with, and protecting nature, according to Yunjian official with the NPC's Legislative Affairs Commission. Actually,、um, I think we're stretching a little bit here to talk about a law. Because it's something very, very professional. Yet, if we take a look at the articles, we would find some highlights that are a little bit different from previous laws protecting these specific. Area which we can all agree that is particularly fragile and valuable because of its special geographical condition. And there are many highlights that we can talk a little bit about. For instance,、uh, the law prohibits production and construction activities that may cause soil erosion in areas that already suffer severe soil erosion or have a fragile. Ecology, and also it bans sand mining and mining activities that do not meet conservation requirements in nature reserves for river sources, and imposes strict rules against the construction of new small hydropower stations unless it is for the livelihood of local people. And the law states that the country should establish a coordination mechanism to enhance conservation on the plateau, that is widely known as the roof of the world, specifying the duty of 
state council departments and different levels of government. In the article, they actually specify that different departments should work with each other, and they specify the duty and the obligations of each departments. And that is something、um, I feel like very much in need for the protection of such area. Exactly, and also I think there are also clauses more relevant for us as ordinary people. Oh who, yeah, who doesn't really have a lot to do, for example, with sand mining or hydropower plants. But the law also includes clauses that targets travelers on the plateau. It prescribes penalties for those who litter. Stipulating that individuals in serious circumstances shall be fined between five hundred and ten thousand yuan, which is about, you know, over seventy U.S. dollars to about one thousand of five hundred U.S. dollars. So that's decent amount of money. Yes, that's decent amount of money. And also, I think it also kind of reminds us whether when we are traveling on the plateau, sometimes we feel like we're in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness, and some of us could feel a little nonchalant when it comes to <laughs> littering and garbage sorting and all that. So in order to protect these plateau, one of the very important reminders for travelers is to keep in mind of What we can do as individuals to protect the very fragile ecosystem on the plateau. On the first glimpse, it's quite easy to tell that well, this national level law, national level legislation, might have some very fancy words in it, but very、uh, lofty and up in the air kind of thing. But it is necessary in the sense that it is addressing issues on the Qinghai Xizang Plateau. And when we talk about、uh, Qinghai Xizang Plateau, we are not only talking about Xizang、uh, Autonomous Region. In fact, other parts of the country, like Qinghai and some part of Sichuan,、uh, in the neighboring provinces to Xizang, they are also part of the Qinghai Xizang Plateau. And therefore, in order to address the Uh, ecosystem issues、uh, on the plateau. It is important to have a coordinated effort across different provinces, different autonomous regions, to work on the same issue. And other issues, I think, Fefe and Yu Holing have touched upon. For instance, soil erosion. This is obviously very important when we are talking about the、uh, Qinghai Xizang Plateau. Is high up in there, and therefore the、uh, ecosystem is entirely different from, let's say,、uh, the coastal regions where you get a lot, of, lot of rainfall, where it is easy to、uh, restore a, a certain certain ecosystem、uh, with given the right amount of input. When you are up there, when the ecosystem is already so fragile and so precious, when it's damaged, it's all the more difficult to have it restored. So that's soil erosion is a major、uh, issue there. And there's also the issue of biodiversity. Again, some of the rare animals that only live on that elevation. Nowhere else do you see them.、Uh, when when they're gone, they're 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 gone for good. So these are major issues that this national level legislation is hoping to address. May I bring another point that is being emphasized on,、um, actually, in this law? That is the protection of snow-capped mountains, glaciers, and frozen soil. Actually, it aims to strengthen the monitoring. Early warning and systematic protection of these natural resources, and we all know that in these very specific areas, actually scientific research should be conducted, and there will be multiple findings. Um, scientifically, and they these are also very important, and this is also stressed in this new law. 
Exactly, and I want to sort of echo with what Hongling just said about the Qinghai Xizang Plateau is also a very important water source of water supply, not only for China, but also for other neighboring countries in Asia, like India、Including、and other. Yeah, yeah. So when we are tr- talking about protection of the Qinghai Xizang Plateau, we're not just about. Us in China、mm. is more of having global significance, and also on the other side is about when I think environmental scientists have been talking about this for a long period of time is that they have noticed warming at a faster speed on the plateau compared to other parts of the globe. So temperature、and、has been rising twice as fast as the global average. Exactly. In the mountains. And that brings, for example, we are seeing more lakes emerging on the plateau, and that can have global impacts. For example, when we are talking about extreme heat in the Europe. Some scientists are speculating that these extreme heats that we are seeing around the globe can be linked to a warming climate on the plateau. So it's not certain at this point, but it also have a global significance. And to keep us in mind that we are sort of in this together, and to protect every fragile ecosystem on the globe is necessary. Mm-hmm. So climate change is also an issue that's beyond any individual province or autonomous region, and therefore, again, we have this national level legislation. Any info on how the local authorities are going to enforce this national level law? I think the first step is really, as Hongling just pointed out, that the duties of different levels of government has been specified according to the law, and that makes government bodies. Can work efficiently together, and also they can launch joint efforts, especially when it comes to physical, financial support, and when it comes to taxations, and how these money, this funding, can be support can be supported for the ecological conservation of the plateau, and also encourages not only the public efforts but also those in the private sector to take part in this endeavor, and also I think.、Um, Is sort of like clauses when it comes to addressing travelers. It sort of give us a source of information for people who are not really aware of the significance of the plateau for our ecosystem to really have a chance to get us educated on the importance of the protection and especially what we can do. Especially when it comes to there are a lot of people that are hiring going to. Xizang for outdoor activities like mountaineering、mm-hmm. and, and sports, and sports. So that can also, you know, for us to think about what we can do when we're there to protect their environment. This is actually making me very happy because for those of you who don't know,、uh, in college I was actually majoring in resources, environment, and the management of urban rural planning. And、um, there was this one course that is specifically environmental law that I learned in one of the semesters, and we dig. Into the form or the let's say formation of the law system,、mm-hmm. the environmental law system here in China, we would realize that when it comes to environmental protection,、uh, there are mainly two parts. Firstly, we would think about the problems with littering, with pollution. We pollute the environment, and that poses a problem. And the other part is about natural resources. 
Uh, and these two are vital. And if we take a look at China's legal system, we see that the environmental legislation has evolved from industrial waste control to emphasizing ecological civilization. And in the development of China's environmental governance strategy has progressed through four stages, according to my teachers, uh, <laughs> eliminating pollution and protecting the environment. That's stage one. In stage two, we coordinate development of environmental protection and economic construction. That is also very important because previously we think about we can pollute first and take care of the pollution. One, we got enough money financially when we have the resources. That but was the experience of developed countries right now. That Yeah, but that didn't work. That couldn't work. Mm -hmm. And also, you can't really just sacrifice all the economic development and just thinking that we do not have to develop. Let's just protect the very beautiful um, environment and clean air and clean water and that is it that won't work either because to carry out scientific and practical environmental protection we need financial support actually what we're trying to do is to make sure that the two processes are carried forward together and that is why the third stage is scientific development concept and the third stage which is now is green development we want to develop and we want the world to be clean and we want the process to be green and that is how it's done and if you think about the legislation system uh, actually in 1979 china passed the first environmental protection law and in 1989 we've got a new version of it and the new provision includes the purpose of environmental law the guidelines and policies of environmental protection the environmental management system main methods which will be used in environmental management basic requirements of environmental protection environmental education scientific research and principles of environmental lawsuits responsibility which will be carried by violators and so on all these information sounds a little dull if you just list them out, but they're very, very important in practice. And now we've got a forestry of environmental related laws. Yes, pun intended. And hopefully in the future, there would be codification for environmental law. I know environmental lawmakers would love to see that. Mm -hmm. So when your teachers were explaining to you how the law on environmental protection uh, was uh, drafted and what was the rationale behind it, did they by any chance talk about the implementation of this uh, regulation? I mean, how is it, how is it uh, and how are local authorities going to uh, follow these laws while at the same time pursue development? Let's say, for instance, specifically in the case of Shizang, uh, what are local authorities going to do to respect the environment while at the same time still provide for the residents there? Digging from my very vague memory, I can think of at least one thing. That is when we carry out certain projects that will definitely benefit local economic development, we would at least prepare a simultaneous draft of environmental protection plan with the actual plan of the project so that two things can carry out together. For instance, when you're planning the construction of a skiing resort, for mm -hmm. example, in Xizang, you have to simultaneous have a plan of how to 
uh, protect local environment while you're carrying out the construction. You have to have a plan for the garbage sorting and also how to take care of the garbage of the construction and also have a plan on how to protect a local environment while your ski resort is actually operating. And all that falls into the category of, I think, our new law here. Uh, not only the carrier or the operator of the new ski uh, resort, but also the tourists that that Fei Fei has just mentioned. Exactly, which also reminds me of two things. One I've actually seen myself, which is when we travel from Linzhi to Lhasa on that high-speed railway line, I saw a lot of solar power panels on the mountains there. And we also learned, then we reached to Linzhi and realized that there are a lot of hydropower station projects going on. Some of them are under construction. Some of them have been put into operation. That you can see that in Xizang, that the new energy is a very important part of their power supply. Mm -hmm. And at, at least that's what they're trying to do there because apparently there are a lot of really natural resources they can take advantage of. They have great solar power, they have the conditions for hydropower plants, and also uh, we were talking about other uh, new energy that they can take advantage of. And then on the other side, with I thought of a national park called the Three River Source National Park, mm -hmm. which is on the plateau. One very interesting story with that national park is that it's restricted for the public, meaning as ordinary travelers, we can't really travel in that national park, but only scientific teams who are doing scientific researches in that area are allowed to get into that national park. And then they need drivers. They need places to live. They also need tour guides to show them around. And also, so the local herdsmen turn themselves into these accommodation suppliers and also local tour guides and also drivers for their scientists because apparently in that area of national park, um, you are not allowed to do traditional herdsmanship because the, the old ways of herdsmanship can bring damages to the local environment. And then they find another way to make their lives better and easier by showing people around and making money, offering accommodation. And that makes me think of the quote unquote, living in harmony with the nature and how projects that like this, you know, the new energy power plants and also the National Park for Scientific Researches, also helping one local people to have a better life and in a greener way instead of, you know, in the older ways that they have to travel thousands and thousands of kilometers with a bunch of sheep and not really <laughs> making a lot of money out of it. Right, so we are already seeing plenty of examples or case studies of people implementing this idea or this new concept of pursuing development while at the same time uh, safeguarding the environment and the ecosystem. And this new law on the protection of ecosystem on the Qinghai Xizang Plateau is only an epitome of that thought and it is only going to help and guide people in Xizang to get better solutions in pursuing development. As we said earlier, we are marking the 72nd anniversary of the peaceful liberation of Xizang and that historic event back in the days uh, was monumental in the sense that it defeated uh, certain attempts to try and separate uh, that part of the country from uh, the main body of China, 
and therefore leading the way to improving the lives of the local people in Xizam. And obviously, we've been there uh, two years ago to witness in our own eyes what have changed in the past few decades. And it's been two years. Now we have uh, the latest update from our reporter Li Yunqi, who's just come back from Xizang. So this time I was able to witness a niche new trend in Lhasa's tourism market, uh, which is the booming business of photo shooting services. Uh, so I went to the famous Bakor Street around the Zhou Kang Temple, and this shopping slash sightseeing street is now filled with photo shooting agencies. I think you might already notice that this younger generation in China just loves taking photos. I mean, not just regular selfies with your cell phone, but photography albums provided by professional studios, and that comes with beauticians, stylists, and professional photographers. And these touristy photo shooting agencies are, of course, usually in the tourist cities. The travelers can dress in the traditional clothing worn by the locals. And here in Xizang, the studios also provide makeup services. So when I walked along the Bakor Street, I saw a lot of travelers walking out of these photo shooting agencies,、uh, with a professional photographer right behind them, and sometimes even a stylist that keeps their makeup fresh. And I spoke with several business owners. One of them told me that among the 270 stores on the Bakor Street. About half of those stores are now photo shooting agencies. Of course, her estimate could be off from the actual number, but this estimate could provide you a sense of how popular the photo shooting business is. She also told me that there have been many competitors that entered the market in Lhasa from other Chinese cities.、Uh, for one reason, the tourism market in Lhasa is quite consistent throughout the whole year. So there's smaller difference between the peak travel season and the non-peak season. I mean, compared to other popular tourist cities in China that are more dependent on the weather. So running such a business, a photo shooting business in Lhasa, provides more stable source of income. But I think the most important reason for this thriving business in Lhasa, I mean, according to this business owner, and my personal observation. Is the unique and rich culture in Xizang as a whole?、Um, I mean, let's just take this Bakor Street for an example.、Uh, apart from sightseeing and shopping, it's also famous for the religious activities, because this street circles around the Zhou Kang Temple, and on the Bakor Street, you'll see a mixture of pedestrians between travelers, shoppers, and Tibetan Buddhists that are practicing Buddhism rituals. And also, the architectures here date back 1,300 years, and they also received four batches of funding from China's state government to preserve their historic and religious conditions. So the rich culture here is drawing more travelers coming from everywhere for the unique experience. The owner actually told me that with some of the airlines providing special discount for the weekend flights, and she's been receiving visitors that come here on Saturdays just for the photo shooting. And then they would fly back home on Sundays and get ready for their work on Monday. And of course,、um, the market in in Lhasa is not just drawing travelers, and it's also drawing more、uh, businessmen and competitors into this market. So this owner complained about too many people entering this business, and the subsequent brutal competition. 
But I think this will probably provide more choices and fairer experiences for the travelers. Actually, Li Yunqi has just finished his tour in Xizang. Even though he said that there's no such thing as a peak season, we still like to talk a little bit about during the May Day holiday here in China. Because during this year's May Day holiday, the region received over 1.16 million tourist arrivals, 2.4 times the number in 2019 before the outbreak of the COVID-19. So more and more people decided to visit Xizang and to enjoy the very special taste there. In terms of culture, in terms of、um, language, in terms of altitude and everything,、yeah. <laughs> and apparently now when they're doing that, they should also watch themselves not to litter the very beautiful place. Exactly, and also I think. Xizang, and also going to Lhasa, which is also a very famous sign in China, is sort of on the bucket list on pretty much every Chinese to you know at least travel to Xizang to that region once in your lifetime and to see the cultures and the blue skies and also the different animals and everything else on that plateau. Well, that could be a path to sustainable development in that region as long as everybody remembers to pick up after them. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up in the second half of the show, some elderly folks seek a new companion after their spouses pass away or divorce them. But before they are happily married again, there is the issue of consulting their children. To what extent should they take in the advice of their children? What is at stake here? Stay with us for more fun discussion on Roundtable. The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid 19th century. I was born on the 17th of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Mingxing was a native of Hamyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond and find My Life in China and America. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable. I'm Lai Ming, joined by Fei Fei and Niu Holing in the studio. Coming up, elderly but single. Many pensioners who have lost their spouses long to start all over again with another person, only to face opposition from their children. What is keeping the family from reaching an agreement? What are the main concerns on different sides? And in Roundtable's Heart to Heart, Jeanette has sent in a question, and we will do our best to provide our own perspectives. Heart to Heart is a segment that is only sustainable with your input. If you are like Jeanette and would like to share your concerns or questions with Roundtable, you can send a voice document to our email at azfmroundtable@foxmail.com. Now let's move on to Romance of the Silver-Haired. Well, we already know China is stepped into the aging society now. We're talking about 
264 million people aged 60 or above, according to a figure from、uh, the latest census in 2020. Well, the next surprising number would be the elderly who lost their spouse accounted for 27 percent of the elderly population in China back in 2010, and that's approximately 47.48 million. And at the same time, China's elderly divorce rate doubled compared with 30 years ago. Let's see. Nearly 50 million people, elderly and single. That's more people than there are in most countries out there. Can we seriously accept having so many people, even though they are old, stay single? Well,、um, well, if you put it that way, <laughs> <laughs> I would say, of course, is their freedom, is their Choice to whether start a second marriage or to have a companion for the rest of their life, but when we are talking about you know the elderly and especially the single elderly people, I think considering the age is also very important. If we're talking about people in their fifties or sixties, apparently they are going to have a long period to spend. If you consider the current life expectancy, so it's very natural for them to want to look for another companion or partner to spend their life, which can they can take care of themselves. Or in the case of some who who think that they didn't find their love of their life in their first marriage, and now they want to find the love of their life in their second try,、mm. and I think is. Absolutely natural for them to pursue that, but then on the other hand, on the standpoint of a child, then looking at my parents, especially if they start to step into the age of eighty or ninety, and then they told me they want to marry to another person, and that would put a question mark of what's that person really looking for in this marriage? They are no longer sexually active, that's for sure. But at the same time, you know, there are also other fishy people out there. We heard it on the news all the time of how, for example, I hate to bring this up as an example, but it really happened is that one of the caretaker of the family, and he or she was probably in their fifties, and then all of a sudden they decided to marry to an eighty-year-old, and then. You know, with the marriage, it became legally binding, and then it turned out to a financial argument happening between the children and also the new spouse, and and that just turned really ugly in the end. Well, you are definitely not alone. According to an online survey conducted by Southern Weekly in April,、uh, only 25% of the respondents said children should support their elderly parents' decision to get married again because that's their freedom, and 75% say they need to make clear about the property and elderly care duty first before getting married. I don't think the children are saying no. We do not want you to be happy. We want you to be alone for. Ever and even though we do not live in the same city with you, and we don't care if your mental health requires you to have someone to be with you, it's not what they're saying. What they're saying is more like. And this concerns us because we are not sure whether or not you are making 
a sound decision when you are hot-headedly heading into this new romance and new love, which puts me in a difficult position because I personally believe that as an adult, we have the right to make our own decisions, and even we are we have the right to make wrong decisions as long as it's our decisions. And that's what I told my parents when I was young, being a young adult and want to make my own wrong decisions. And yeah, they're wrong, but I still want the rights. And now we're denying our parents the right. It makes me feel sad for growing older. But on the other hand, I I do understand the concerns because we are not saying we're. After our parents' money, it's more like we do not want them to be heartbroken in their seventies or nineties. Let's break it down a bit here, because、right? I feel there's plenty of factors at play here. Number one, in some parts of the country,、um, particularly in rural areas, there's the、uh, thinking that、uh, when you are old, you should just accept it and die old and <laughs> die single. And so, I, there's a、uh, plenty of well, there's a certain level of stigma attached to.、Mm. Uh, Elderly folks wanting to get、uh, a second spouse after the first one is passed away, that kind of thing. So that stigma is a way of thinking is one way to explain this. And then,、uh, according to、uh, New Holland's quote, there's a lot of people voicing opposition to parents' decision to get married again. Based on economic concerns, all of a sudden,、uh, so you are getting married again, and this young and this old man or woman comes with、uh, a family of their own, and when you are well, officially married, then、uh, by law your inheritance should be split among strangers that haven't spent a whole lifetime with. That could be odd. So there are plenty of factors at play. What do you think is the biggest concern here? The stigma attached to elderly people getting married again. I think in urban cities it is quickly fading away. But but to to what extent is it still alive? Um, I think in urban in cities, um, I don't think the stigma is playing a very big role here, but it definitely exists in rural areas, especially among villagers. That seeing two elderly single people getting together, that will definitely be the gossip of the village for a while, and no one likes to be the topic of the gossip. And but then at the same time, we are seeing more elderly, especially in the these rural areas, are having a lot of mental struggles of their of themselves, and I think. Sort of reminded us of helping them and also helping the villagers about. It's not really odd to see two single people in their sixties or seventies to seek their love and to seek a new partnership together. But then, on the other hand, in cities, I think we're talking about different concerns. Here is more of of financial concerns, especially you know thinking. About marriage, if we are talking about a couple, a young couple, who are thinking of marriage in their twenties or thirties, and that can also brings concerns from the parents of both sides, financially, economically, and they want to get a you know cleared before the marriage is official of the property or the money or other 
real estate can be a possible problem in the future. And I think that also applies to marriage of elderly couples as well, especially if these two are having their separate families before they are having children of them of their own. And now they are thinking about, you know, forming a new family and have all these stepchildren and then they have these different properties and different finances they need to sort it out. And probably they're in their, you know, 60s or 80s, they're too tired to think about how to sort out these very complicated problems. And I think that's only making the children's concerns of, you know, you need to sort it out before you you start to talk about official marriage to get a marriage certificates. And I think it's only natural for the children to voice these concerns. And you know, the easier way is why get it legally binding, you can just, you know, spend spend your life together without that certificate. That's only an option. But they want to celebrate their love. And actually, in some other cases, for instance, I have to admit, I well, watched some variety shows of elder people blind dating, and they are quite clear about what they want. They would think about appearance. They would think about whether or not they are from similar family background. For example, if the elder folk is a professor of certain kind of sort, they would they would require the program staff to find them someone from similar background and they would ask whether or not they have uh, medical insurance of their own and they would even say things like my allowances after retirement is this amount of money and I can provide you with this but I want you to make sure that for example you would cook and you would clean the houses or something so so yeah their prenup articles are quite clear in their head and I don't think children need to worry about it your parents are very clear-headed well that's not to say every elderly folk goes into the prospect of a second marriage with a clear head. I mean, there's been plenty of examples of uh, elderly folks being scammed, even by people who are already married. I mean, there are there are fraudsters uh, targeting elderly folks precisely because maybe they are lonely, but they are well off, comfortable, and therefore there's certain benefits to be reaped from getting close with them and, and getting a marriage certificate. Exactly. And I've seen those, you know, elderly blind dates program before. <laughs> and frankly, that to me is more of a about a partnership is that I want a life partner of these um, requirements, and you better fit into that. Otherwise, I'm not going to consider you. Is that really love? Is that really you know, about marriage is more about forming a partnership, and they can take care of each other in their, you know, elderly days. And I don't think that's really what marriage or really relationship is about It's more about, you know, helping each other in, in, in life. So, so when it comes to, you know, getting married, getting that marriage certificate and get your relationship legally binding. I don't think for the elderly is really necessary for them to go through that process if they are just looking for really a partner to take care of each other. 
And, you know, with that marriage certificate, that can bring a lot of trouble afterwards with children from different size and they have their different needs and requirements. And also the, the, the elderly themselves may also start to having different opinions about certain property or certain financial assets that they are going to debating about it. And I just think is some trouble that's really unnecessary and uncalled for. The fact that children and their parents, their elderly parents, are having disagreements on whether or not these elderly parents should remarry again, what does it suggest? And is there anything in the society that we should be on the lookout for? Well, one way to look at this is me as uh, somebody that's from a single child family would look at the issue as, well, I am the only child in this family, so everything my parents owns will ultimately go to me. And now if one of my parents wants to remarry, should the other one passes away, then that complicates things. That certainly complicates things in the sense that at least one stranger is in the equation. So as something that I was taken for granted goes on to the question again, I mean, that certainly is uh, something that could trigger a discussion or dispute. But then on the other hand, I also think of families with more than one children, and that could complicate things in the sense that there are more people thinking on behalf of themselves and on behalf of their elderly parent which makes it even more difficult to reach a consensus. So th there are ways to look at this, but I'm curious as to what this indicates for the society and, and are we doing enough to make sure that elderly parents or elderly folks get the care they need, get the love they need? I mean, there's a lot of applications and platforms that help young people find their love of their life, but is there enough service providers out there, is there enough being done to help elderly folks uh, meet their needs? I think what's ironic is that if the elder folks out there are actually fully in love, they are enthusiastic about the second love they believe would be the greatest love of their lives and they want to get married with this person, then they would stop considering about the financial issues. They would stop considering that maybe the money they have is the money that they make with their first spouse and maybe the first spouse would consider leaving the money to their children more yet if the elder folks out there are thinking about these financial factors the reality issue maybe they are like what Fei just said are just looking for someone who can accompany them for the rest of their lives which means they do not really have to get into what we call marriage they can just live together and spend life together so yeah i agree with liming more should be done to uh, do more research on the current issue because we said in the very beginning of our discussion that around 30% of elder people above the age of 60 or 50 um, are single, yet we do not know whether or not they have someone with them already. So maybe it's already the case of uh, the society that they are living together with someone and they are not getting married because they do not want the trouble. And in that case, maybe a prenup law firm would make great money in helping those old folks out there. So one thing we can say for sure is that people are quite sensitive to economic issues. Mm. Even 
when thing when we are talking about things related to romance and love. So、uh, another thing to to note is even among young couples, there's a tendency for them to split their income and to manage their own account and to pay for their own bills. So we talk about this on the show before. So there's a tendency for people to want more freedom. In economically, and therefore, we shouldn't expect less for people、uh, of the older generation. Yeah, but I think for me, consulting your family is always the first choice, regardless of you're a young couple or an elder couple. That even for people in their twenties, when they are talking about marriage, they will definitely, you know, go to their parents and other family members for consulting, and I think it's also necessary. For these elderly to consult their family members and their children before they, you know, get it legally binding or get it official, and I think as long as both sides have each other's understanding and blessing, I think is something you know wonderful to see. And to our young friends out there, if your parents do consult you about getting married with someone they like, someone that makes them blush, someone that they'd like to spend the rest of their life with, then say yes. Support your parents. Forget about social stigma. Don't start by assuming the worst. Try to give your parent the benefit of the doubt. Have a heart to heart with your parent. Bearing in mind that they love you, they support you, they raised you, they probably know the best for themselves, and allow them to be happy, even if it means that things might be complicated a bit later, even if you have to sort out all these financially related stuff. No amount of trouble should stop your parents from being happy. And it's a great time to return them the unconditional love they have given you your entire life. Right, as China's population continues to age, I see more prospects, more business opportunities in helping elderly folks get together and enjoy a happy retired life. You're listening to Roundtable. Next up, Heart to Heart. You ask. We answer. Table, heart to heart. Hello, Roundtable China. I'm Janet, studying in Hangzhou now. Since I subscribed Roundtable China, my listening and oral English have been improved a lot. Thus, I'm more confident than before to express myself in English. Your unique perspectives for the latest event always amaze me. I have recommended the program to my friends, and also I organized an English group online just like yours. Thank you for your company. These days, I am bothered by peer pressure. When I see some of my friends sharing their boyfriends, travels, and new cars in their WeChat moments, I am even envious of them. Compared with them, it seems like I am a loser. Sometimes I feel stressed while hearing the sound of keyboard from my roommates. The peer pressure really influences my daily life. Could you tell me how to deal with it? Thank you. Ah,、oh, thank you, Janet, for that lovely message. Fei Fei, let's start with you. What would be your reaction to her message? 
Um, you know, my first reaction really is, who hasn't felt that envy or jealousy towards one of your friends <laughs> who seemed to have to have a better life, to have a lot of things to show off? But then I think the first step really is to accept that. I think it's perfectly normal and natural for us or for people to feel that kind of emotions when you are seeing, you know. Something glamorous, and also especially a post on social media platforms. I mean, that's what really social media is for—you know, showing off and making others feel bad about themselves. But then the next step is really think about what you really want and where you really are. And is that what you really want? Nice cars, fancy cars, or yes, that's what I really want.、Uh, more boyfriends day after <laughs> another, and you know. Then, then you know you can start to deal with that. Is if this is something you really want, work for that. If it's not, who you really are and what you really want, and don't let that jealousy or envy to start become so overwhelming and sort of make you forget who you really are and stop you from focusing your life. And you know, on social media posts. They post about the best parts, exactly the best sides of their life. You never know if in that photo she just had an argument with her boyfriend or not. I'm not saying you know to assume the worst of people. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's just not worthy to really evaluate your life. Just based on social media platform posts, I totally agree with you, Fei Fei. Here, I think what you see of others' life is just the tip of the iceberg. The things people display on social media and openly share with others are just to the surface level. Like、um, below the waterline, there is massive iceberg base that you have no knowledge of. Even though I joked about, yes, nice cars are what I wanted, but I do not want to trade my happiness for it. I do not want to trade a good laugh. A Great laugh with my friends for it, and I think that's what matters in life. And my suggestion is a little, would say, unconventional,、um, because you're young, you're still in college, you still have a lot to work for. So I suggest you that instead of being the peer pressure receiver, be the peer pressure giver. You are、oh. starting an online group like Roundtable. You're amazing. You send a voice message to a national radio station, and now we're broadcasting it. You should be someone who others say, "Wow, she's so great. She's amazing. How, what what can I do? I live in the same dormitory with her. I am so anxious. I need to work on my English." And then you can say, "Well, I do have a group. I'm not really sure if you're qualified, but we we live together. We can work with it. Let's." Improve ourselves together. <laughs> Once you're in that mindset, you might be much happier. <laughs> so your suggestion is for her to make it worse <laughs> <laughs> for her peers. <laughs> for her peers, and and be the right earring、uh, in the group, and try to take leadership in in the in whatever. <laughs> No, no, no. Jokes aside, what I'm suggesting is peer pressure can be something that's、uh, the source of your anxiety. That's bad for your mental health. It can be something that hurts the relationship between you and your friends. I'm sure if the type voice of your friends would make you feel anxious, maybe you. Would find it hard to talk with her to be with her naturally, but 
actually, it can be something positive as well. Like Fifi said, if you can figure out what you want, maybe you can work for it. Maybe some positive and some nice, some benevolent. Uh, competition between you and your friends would make your little group in your dorm the best little group in your class, and that is not something bad. And in the meantime, I did do a little bit of research, and I found this idea、um, in cognitive behavioral therapy that is separation of tasks. The separation of tasks means knowing what our tasks are and how they differ from the tasks of others. So finding a boyfriend can be your Task, but it has to be your decision. It cannot be the tool you use to compare or to compete with your peers. So we, of course, always compare ourselves with our friends, with our colleagues, with our classmates. But you should always remind yourself, it's not your task to compare with them. It's your task to pursue. After happiness, it's your task to be a better version of yourself. Others can be reference for you, but they cannot be your task. I think it's very hard to win when you are trying to catch up, but it's much easier if you can start your own race. There's always somebody wealthier, smarter, and healthier than you. It's nice to notice and appreciate good things that other people have, but if you are so obsessed with them that you feel too much pressure, it is time to consider your reaction from noticing and appreciating other people. Peer pressure is tricky because your point of reference is people around you. You would think that these are people under similar circumstances with you or on a level playing field, and as a result, you will want to be on the same page with them. But life isn't an exam in which everybody's given the same questions. It's not a race where players start at the same point and go down the same track. There's no reason or need for anyone to be the same as their peers. Because the world would be such a boring place if everyone is the same. That being said, we are living in a competitive society, so we do feel the pressure to stand out in the crowd. And the key to achieving that is to leverage your own advantage. You strike me as somebody who is motivated, ready for action, and friendly. Oh, as New Holy pointed out, and as you mentioned earlier, you started an online group on language learning, and I think that's. Quite the initiative that you've taken, and it shows something different from your roommates, of course. But certainly, a recording of a few minutes is not enough for me to know、uh, every advantage you have. But my point is, you need to find it in yourself and build on it, and maybe one day, you can be the one to be envied by your peers. So I hope we have answered your question. We look forward to more feedback from you. If you can write to us at ezfmroundtable at foxmail dot com, and for those of you who are listening, if you want to be a part of the show, do what Jeanette did and just send in those voice documents. Now that's all the time we have for this episode of Roundtable. Thank you for listening. How are you? What's on your mind? Let's have a heart-to-heart -heart on Roundtable. Ask us anything; we'll help you answer it. Send a voice memo to ezfmroundtable@foxmail.com. We'll play your question on Roundtable, then talk through it on the live show. Take care. We can't wait for our heart-to-heart -heart with you.